0: tennessee just sounds perfect whether that's live music the crack of a campfire or kids laughing on an adventure
1: to start planning your trip visit tnvacation.com tennessee sounds perfect
2: happy pride from tomboy x celebrating pride and the queer community all year
1: Welcome to the show, ridiculous historians, friends, and neighbors. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Uh, we always like to say nice things about our super producer Casey Pegram, uh, and we do mean these sincerely. But we have a special announcement today—one that uh, blew my mind, actually. Another, another thing to add to the long legend of Casey Shadow here. This guy came in to record today's episode on his actual
0: birthday. It's true. I'm here and it is my birthday. What a guy. My name is Noel. Are you still Ben? You're Ben, right?
1: I am several times over Ben Bolin. Yes. And this is the first time that we have, that the three of us have been in the studio together in a little while. Shouts out also to Christopher Hasiotis for pinch hitting there. Uh, I checked out that episode. That was pretty cool, man.
0: Oh, thanks, man. I enjoyed it. Christopher is a real mensch for pinch hitting while you were off on adventures. And I alluded a little bit to your adventures, but I didn't want to spill the tea, as it were, as the kids would say. And what, what, what were you doing, Ben? Uh,
1: I was doing all sorts of uh, non-sketchy things. <laughs> I, I traveled to I traveled to Japan to a couple of different towns in Japan. One was Nagoya, one was Tokyo, and I was able to make it back. I have a couple of cool stories about it, but they may be be stories for another day. Or if we want to knock off early uh, this afternoon, maybe we can grab a beer and regale each other. Because I got to tell you, man, I'm coming in hot. My body doesn't know what time it is. Mm. My body has a vague spider sense about what day it is. So luckily... This is our favorite history show, so we don't have to talk about today. And I don't think we have to talk about specific times on the clock, uh, but we do have to talk about badasses.
0: We absolutely do. Uh, Ben, how do you like your saints? I like mine murderous. I like my
1: saints the way I like my superheroes. Uh, So saints often, at least in Catholicism, are patrons of one thing or another. Uh, So I like very specific uh, patronages for saints, and I also like, I'm going to tell you, I like some uh, Song of Ice and Fire, some Game of Thronesy y uh, historical gore when it comes to saints.
0: Well, I'm going to drop a couple of superlatives here, and I want you folks out in podcast land to use your imagination, picture what kind of individual might be attached to these. The missionary to Ukraine. Okay, that doesn't sound so exciting. How about the Viking Saint Queen of Russia? Or my personal favorite, the Scourge of the Drevlians. Uh, Also
1: known as Equal to the Apostles.
0: Uh, These
1: are all titles held by Princess Olga of Kiev, now Saint Olga of Kiev. And I, I love that. I love that string of honorifics, too. It's very Daenerys Targaryen. It's very, uh, for the nerds in the crowd,
0: it's very Vigo of Carpathia. It's very Zena, Princess Warrior. Mm-hmm. Warrior uh,
1: Princess? Uh, Xena, Warrior Princess. Boom. And just to be clear, that's Vigo the v- Carpathian. His we- name is Vigo. Vigo. <laughs> Wife to you. And mother to me. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, you know what? It bears up on a rewatch. So St. Olga, unlike Vigo, is a real person. And she was born in a city in what is today northwestern Russia, close to the Estonian border. The city's name is going to be great fodder for all of us on Ridiculous Historians. (laughs) It is spelled P S K O V. So, what do you think, Piskov? Piskov? Piskov?
0: Yeah, I don't know. We're probably gonna have a lot of fun with a lot of these pronunciations in today's mm-hmm. episode. If there are any uh, uh, people with Estonian heritage out there, please feel free to write in and and shred us new ones for our pronunciation. We will do our level best. What do you think? Should we go with Skov? I silent P. I like the psk. It's
1: Piskov. It's uh, I, for that for only for the reason that it's it's more fun.
0: In my mouth. Do you know what a Visco girls are, Ben? What are Visco girls? Visco girls, it's a uh, sort of a meme thing. My 10 year old told me about it. They are sort of basic, you know, quote unquote. Uh-huh. Uh, so they have a particular garb, and it's uh, scrunchies around their wrists, uh, short shorts, clean white van slip ons, um, some sort of long baggy t shirt, mm-hmm. and they always have a water bottle with bright colored stickers on it that is the brand Hydro Flask, and they laugh like this. <laughs> I think you told me about this at some point. So Piscoff kind of sounds like the way Visco girls laugh, is what I'm getting at.
1: There we go. There mm-hmm. we go. We and, got there. and their name is probably based on the storied history of this
0: of this area. It's got to be based on that plugin, right? It's an app. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a photo editing app for Instagram.
1: Casey on the case.
0: Let's, let's go
1: back to those names, Viking, Saint, Queen, uh, Missionary to Ukraine, Equal to the Apostles. Mother of, of Dragons. S- Mother of Dragons, mm-hmm. Breaker of Chains, Scourge of the Drevlians. The thing about Princess Olga is that she earned all of these titles, and today's story is about how she got there, about how she went from being a princess, and being a princess is a problematic, beautiful thing, You know, a lot of people love the stories of royalty. But unfortunately, many, many uh, princes and princesses end up being historical footnotes. Why is Olga
0: different? Right, because you think of a princess, you think of a fair maiden, helpless and defenseless, being kept somewhere in a tower, you know, relegated to her room behind lock and key. Uh, This was not the case for Olga. In 912, she married a man by the name of Igor? 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 What do you say? Igor. Igor. So you know that for a fact because you've got Russian pals. And Igor uh, was the heir to the throne of Kiev. Ben, can you tell us a little bit about the geography of Kiev? Luckily,
1: I can. Uh, Kiev, now a city in Ukraine, it's part of something we call the Kievan Rus, R-U-S apostrophe. Uh, Kievan Rus was a federation of... Finnish and East Slavic people in Europe from, let's say, around the 9th century to somewhere in the 13th century. But this this name was a retronym. It was not called Kievan Rus at the time. This is a name that we, we sort of made up later as a species. And when we say a loose federation, um, we have to be very mindful to realize that this this is a somewhat common thing historically in a lot of places. Just the problem of communication makes it difficult for a large, uniform,
0: uh, lockdown empire to exist. And wouldn't this have been sort of almost something bordering on tribal, kind of? Like you had chieftains rather than elected officials? Sure,
1: yeah, yeah. So we see the traces of... Rus in the modern day because nations like Ukraine, Russia and Belarus all sort of claim Kievan Rus as their their cultural DNA. You know, obviously Belarus, Russia have the the name Rus in their own country's name. Uh, The name Kievan Rus comes to us around somewhere in like the 1800s, 19th century or so, Uh, but it has the same meaning as the land of the Rus, which is how it was called in the Middle Ages and during Olga's time. The first stories about the Rus from the time that people historically arrive in this region is told in the primary chronicle, which is also known as the tale of bygone years, the Russian primary chronicle. And this is where we get a lot of the information about Princess Olga and her hubs, Igor. Himself.
0: That's right. Igor was a Viking descendant. His father, a man by the name of Rurik, was a chieftain. Uh, like we said, this was a very kind of tribal society, um, uh, and his people were called the Varangians. I don't know about that pronunciation. What cool do you think? Name. It reminds me of the Farangis from mm-hmm. Star Trek a little bit. Yeah. Um, but or,
1: yeah. or the Varivags. they were also called. Uh, V-A-R-Y-A-G-S. Varyags,
0: Varyags, there we go. And so he actually made the seat of his empire or his, you know power stronghold uh, at somewhere called Novgorod, which was on the Volkov River. So in 879, Rurik passed away, and he gave all of this land that he held to his pal Oleg uh, because Igor was just a little too young to rule, and so he was basically, uh, you could call this like sort of like an early form of a trust. He was holding on to this land and this title until Igor came of age.
1: Right, so Rurik essentially said, uh, I love my kid Igor, he's stand-up AF, but he is just too much of a whippersnapper right now. So Oleg and Igor moved the capital of the Rus to Kiev, and they found the kingdom of the Kievan Rus. This would, you know, the, you know this is the origin point of Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, and so on. And at its largest, it's imagine it stretching from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea, so from sea to shining sea. Igor grows up, he manages not to die, and in 913, he takes the throne. Again, this comes to us from the Primary Chronicle. As you had said earlier, Noel, this is a very tribal, sociopolitical time, right? So you're always playing king of the hill, and you're always trying to fight the next guy or group coming up. So as soon as Igor gets the throne in 913, he has to put down a rebellion uh, because one of their client states or one of their client communities, the Drevlians, decided, you know what? When Rurik was in play, we understood the game, but Igor, you're you're new. You're brand new to this. We don't have to respect you. We don't have to pay you a tax or a tribute. Uh, Igor, you know, forced to the point, says, okay, I'll call your bluff, and he fights them and subdues them. This leads to a reign of peace until 945, At which point, the same tribe rebels again.
0: That's right. So Igor had to take care of this uh, second Drevlian rebellion. And in order to do that, he actually had to leave Kiev and go uh, to where the fighting was. Um, He succeeded uh, in quashing this rebellion once again. Um, And he said, look... You know, you guys are really testing me, so I'm going to have to have some real consequences aside from, like, you know, massacring their people, uh, which would be higher tributes. You could you could equate it to making them pay more taxes, I guess, right?
1: hmm And he said he, – he pulled a DJ collet because he was on his way home, but he stopped and he said – another one. He sent his uh, the, the majority of his forces back to home base with the tribute, and then he came back to the Drevlans with a, a smaller force, and this really weirded out the rebellious tribe. It's a little weird. Yeah, so they, they said, okay, let's not let him physically get all the way to our town, let's send out some emissaries and say, dude, what is going on with you? And then Igor says, you know, I refuse to comment. So they panic and they they send out a force. They send out an army. They subdue Igor's forces and they capture him. They take him to a place just outside their city and they tie two birch trees to his legs.
0: Bent. They're like bent down to the ground. I Mm -hmm. guess those are very flexible trees. um, And they, I'm not sure exactly how they would do it, maybe tying a rope to the top and pulling it down so the tippy top touches the ground. and then
1: probably tying it to the trunk. Right. To make like a U-shape, an upside-down
0: U-shape. And then they let them loose, each one Mm. of them. And you can probably figure out what might have happened there. A very unpleasant form of the splits that, you know, split all the way down, you know, from stem to stern. Uh, Dude was essentially torn in twain.
1: Mm -hmm. A Byzantine chronicler named Leo the Deacon, uh, upon whom a lot of the Russian primary chronicle is based, this Byzantine writer said that they literally tore the guy's body apart when these birch trees straightened So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where
0: America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: And now we're in a situation where history may not repeat, but it does rhyme. The king is dead. The king's heir, in this case, a three-year-old named Siatoslav, is too young to take the throne, just the way that Igor was too young to take the throne when his father, Rurik, died. However, the situation is different here because you'll recall that Igor married the uh, the subject of today's episode, Princess Olga of Kiev. Ah. And,
0: Noel, what does she do? Lots of stuff. I have a quick question, though, quick diversion. just want to ask you, why do you think he doubled back? Why do you think Igor doubled back and sent his men home? He didn't say. He didn't say. We'll never know. Bizarre. What a a
1: weird move. Maybe he he forgot his keys. He already won. Maybe he was hungry. Maybe he needed to use the restroom. You know, I I don't know much about uh, Kievan rulers' choice of Uh, washroom facilities. So I I assumed at this point in history, people just went off a decent distance
0: into the woods, but... You would think. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I I find that interesting. Uh, And I also find it interesting that he uh, mocked them, essentially, and said, I'm not going to tell you why I came back. It's a very odd turn of events that ultimately led to this guy dying in a very brutal and horrific way.
1: There's definitely more to this story. And, you know, history is written by the winners, so it is possible, maybe, that they asked him him to come back, or he felt he had to for some reason. I mean, obviously, he felt like he had to, but when Olga learns this information, she's hit with a lot
0: of stuff at once, right? She sure was, Ben. I mean, she, here's the thing. Uh, these uh, Drevians, Drevians? Yeah, we've seen it spelled a couple different ways.
1: Uh, Drevlians, D-R-E-V-L-Y-A-N-S, or
0: Drevians. That's right. They thought that they had the upper hand here, right? Because Mm -hmm. they figured, oh, she's just a, like I like I said, that misperception or scary stereotypical perception of what a princess is—she's some kind of demure aristocrat who they can just boss around. Now there's a woman in charge, quote unquote, that they can use uh, to kind of do whatever they want with. They're basically thinking this is a strategic victory for them um, as a people that maybe they can get the upper hand and force her to marry uh, one of theirs, Prince Mao. Prince Mao. That's right. That that would. Uh, Make it so they didn't have to pay these taxes anymore, these tributes, mm-hmm. and also potentially make it where they were by default ruling the region, ruling the roost.
1: Right. The Keevian roost. Right. We do have to remember that the idea of marrying for love and for, for personal individual romantic feelings is, you know, it's, it's not as common. Back, back in the day, right? So it makes more sense. It's kind of a standard operating procedure for communities to attempt to align one another through strategic marriage, thus also upping their own street cred, right, in this region. They send 20 of their top-notch guys, probably Prince Mal's favorite personal reps, to persuade Princess Olga to marry the guy Who is in charge of her former husband's murderers? Again, this sounds crazy, but it is not super unusual in these times. Princess Olga plays into this sort of shrinking violet. Uh, assumptions that these people have about her. She welcomes them into her house.
0: treats them like official, you know, uh, guests of the state.
1: Mm -hmm. She does the version of rolling out the red carpet, wherein she orders her forces to carry the men in their boats so they don't have to even walk
0: themselves as if they were some sort of like palanquin or like a litter or something like that right really giving them the royal treatment uh but she had uh, she had something else in mind didn't she
1: right so they take these boats her people take these boats to the courtyard of the castle there is a giant trench that has been pre-dug and they put the boats with the men in them into the trench. Uh, Maybe this is just, you know, maybe it's just a weird party, they might be thinking. But what happens next?
0: Yeah, I kind of feel like they probably would have, some of them would have been mortally injured already in that situation. If you're in a wooden boat and you just get chucked into a pit, you know, maybe you land upside down on your neck or something like that Mm -hmm. and and, and get a mortal mortal injury. But that wasn't going to be enough. These people were already obviously very uncomfortable, whatever the case might be, whether they died or not. Um, And she had them all buried alive. And this had to have been a serious pit right i mean yeah. yeah i mean it would have taken a long time to fill in there would have had to have been no way for them to claw their way out mm-hmm. uh, or it would have been very difficult i'm trying to picture the scene and uh, it it reminds me of something you might have seen in like caligula sure yeah and here's the
1: thing though the flaw in this plan as i'm sure many of the more machiavellian of us listening can can immediately identify is that there's no one alive to send word back to Prince Mal and co. Yeah. So she has anticipated this. Olga Olga has not only anticipated this, but she is taking it to a further extreme. She picks one of her emissaries to send word back to Prince Mal and says, you know what? Water under the bridge, Brohame. I accept your proposal for this marriage stuff. Caveat, asterisk, I'll only accept if the Drevians send part of their company, like a, a big piece of their army, to be my escort back to your neck of the woods.
0: Seems legit. Maybe it would have been a little suspicious that their 20 men had not returned yet.
1: Yeah, maybe they were just being feted and uh, and fed and entertained. Uh, and she she has some logic here for the prince. She says, after all, you know, we, we want everybody in the land to see what a big deal this is, right? So... Send me, send me to you in style. Don't I deserve it?
0: And what does Prince Mal do? He, he seems pretty into it. Sure did. Uh, he complied instantly and sent some of his top chieftains to escort her. Yeah, and they show up, right? Yeah, and they were met with another rolling out of the red carpet. As it were, and she says, "Hey guys, uh, you're clearly very dusty from your journey. Why don't you come into one of our our famed bathhouses and uh, and have yourself a schwitz? You ever heard that a schwitz? I've heard it. I don't know if that's what she said, but I, I totally get the gist. Yeah, they say it on The Sopranos a lot. It's when you go in and have like a have a steam bath. It's a schwitz. I like <laughs> it. Uh, but yeah, so they're 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 thinking they're going to have a nice a little soak, uh, possibly a, a steam bath, whatever whatever they got. Um." And she locks the doors behind them.
1: And she burns everyone in that bathhouse alive. Yep. The, the building collapses. Like, she, she kills another group of people. And so now you think, okay, let's, let's just sort of assume Prince Mal's perspective here. He's got to know something's up at this point. After all, uh, a good portion of his army, his martial forces, has been buried alive The chieftains, the ruling class, his personal picks, his selects have also
0: been burned alive. Presumably he doesn't know any of this, though. Right, right. He just knows they have not returned.
1: Right. So you have to at least be thinking about the first group, kind of weird, that none of those guys got back. Uh, So Olga is not done yet. She says it's not enough to kill his top-notch army folks. It's not enough to kill the essentially the ruling class of this tribe. I want to get rid of all of them. So she says something along the lines of like, My dear fiancé, I will soon be arriving at the Drevian capital of Iskoristan and asking them to arrange a funeral feast where we can mourn over the death of my husband Igor in the city.
0: Yeah, and that perspective comes from an article on historyanswers.co.uk in the article, Olga of Kiev, one saint you do not want to mess with. That is completely accurate. So dude is still, Mal, still very, very much in the dark about what's happened to his men. He gets this message, which goes on, uh, that she wishes for him uh, and his men to prepare vast quantities of mead, which is like a, a fermented honey beer kind of situation you may well remember from Beowulf. You ever had mead before, Ben? Yeah, multiple times. What's it taste like?
1: Uh, it, it's cool. You can definitely taste the the honey notes. And um, usually I've, mead's not a not a regular weekly or monthly thing for me, but usually you run into it at some really cool cultural events. There are a bunch in Atlanta. I would love to take you guys at some point. Do
0: you think they have it at medieval times? They probably have something they call mead.
1: Right. It might be Bud Light or Miller Light, the uh, beer that's so good you can drink
0: it with your mouth. Do they make mead light, do you think? Uh, maybe they call it, like, Mead Zero. There you go. I like it. (laughs) Anyhow, (laughs) so so she says, um, please, you must prepare these vast quantities of mead. Quote, that I may weep over the grave of my husband and hold a funeral feast for him.
1: And Mal's like, word, I get it. You know, she's keeping it real. You've got to have these sort of closures in life.
0: Yeah, and she's being, you know, very reasonable about all this, you know? In
1: these Our Crazy Times Uh, What what can we be except for human? So he says totally and gives Olga and her crew, her entourage, safe passage into the territory, into the town. And once she arrives, she holds this huge, opulent, opulent being a comparative term, opulent funeral for Igor, who has passed a lot of people show up, a lot of the townsfolk, a lot of the important individuals of the time. This is a see and sort of thing, kind of the way that the Infinity Mirrors <laughs> exhibit at the High Museum was. Uh, however, maybe they trusted Olga a little bit too much. Maybe they should have thought a little more carefully about the context because they totally chillax. They rage. They get wasted. They're super drunk. Uh, But Olga, it turns out, and the forces that she brought with her are not drunk.
0: Yeah, I don't know if they were play acting and, you know, doing that thing where someone buys you a shot and you've had enough and you don't want to be rude. So maybe you just kind of do a pretend sip and then, you know. Hide it. Uh, Maybe there was some of that going on. I don't know. Maybe no one else but me does that. Um, But they definitely got away without being noticed that they weren't drinking, because that would be very suspicious, right?
1: Yep. (laughs) They got away with it. They waited until the Drevians were uh, drink, drink, drunk. And then Olga said, okay, kill them." According to the Russian primary chronicle, around 5,000 drevlins died that day. Or it
0: would have been an absolute slaughter, some real red wedding stuff. But wait, as Billy Mays was oh. wont to say, there's more. Yeah, there's more. It's what you might consider her coup de grace, uh, her finale, her big finish, act four of this revenge chronicle. Because this wasn't enough for her. She wanted more. She really wanted to wipe out... All of those that had anything to do with the death of her beloved husband. So, uh, you know, there obviously were some survivors. 5,000 seems like a lot because this wouldn't have been a population of, of millions. I mean, again, these were kind of smaller clans, right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, this was not a, a huge metropolis or the way we would understand one today. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit
0: card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: So the surviving Drevians, they were super freaked out, essentially. And they begged and begged and begged, please don't kill us. Uh, we will we will pay with whatever we have. We can't give you an army to serve you uh, yet. Give us a few generations. Uh, but uh, here's what we have. We have honey. We have furs. Please take these. Leave us with our lives. At this point, Olga says, you know what? Maybe this time I'll be cool. Give me three pigeons and three sparrows from each of your houses. And she says, I don't want to impose a heavy tribute like my husband Igor uh, because I know this siege and all these terrible things that I've done to you have left you in a really bad spot. So yeah, just give me uh, uh, three pigeons, three sparrows from
0: each of your houses. Not sketchy at all. Um, and I gotta say, this sounds like the stuff of legend. I have a hard time believing this happened in this exact way, but this is what the Chronicle tells us, so I'm I'm willing to, to suspend disbelief for the time being, but this is genius. So she takes these birds, uh, these pigeons and sparrows, and she has uh, each one of her uh, militiamen, her, her soldiers, take one and attach a string to their little bird feet. Um, and in that string, there would be a piece of sulfur, uh, which is tied up in a small piece of cloth. And then as the sun goes down, Olga tells her men to release these creepy birds all at once. And we should mention, you didn't think it was a little weird, maybe, listeners, that uh, everyone just happened to have these birds? Well, it was a thing. They, they were like pets or kind of familiars. Like it was very much they would, you know, occupy people's houses.
1: Well, they also would make eggs. Right. So there's a source of food there. Uh, yeah, and they lived in different parts of houses, right? So the birds fly to their various nests. The pigeons fly to the coats, and coats are a shelter for mammals or birds, especially pigeons. Like Mike Tyson— a notorious pigeon lover, amongst other things, he has pigeon coats. And then the sparrows fly under the eaves where they
0: tend to build their nests so they can stay away from the rain. Then you had porches, um, I guess, which is just, you know, the front of a person's house. And then you had haymos, which were uh, just stacks of hay in barn situations.
1: And that's when the dove coats, the coops, the porches, the eaves, the piles of hay, all catch a blaze. according to the chronicle there is not a house that escapes this conflagration and because the houses all caught fire uh at roughly the same amount of time it was difficult to extinguish everything people fled from the city and then olga who had her eye on it said oh no 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 catch those folks running for the woods
0: dude this is like the tiny bat bombs remember the bat bombs mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, Japan. in in Japan the idea was that they would uh, roost in the eaves in the ha- in all these houses all at the same time and then the bombs would go off that didn't work so well this seems to have worked better than the bat bombs if you guys want to check that episode out this might be a fun companion piece um, and like you said yeah those little bits of sulfur ignited all of these very very flammable uh, nesting spots and boom. The whole town went up like uh, like flash paper, and the few who escaped were running into the woods. What happened next?
1: So here's the heavy metal part of this. This this is where things build the same way uh, that one of my favorite songs, "In the Hall of Mountain King," builds. It just gets more and more nuts because while this city is burning down, Princess Olga of Kiev orders her forces to take it, and they capture the surviving elders of the city. She kills some of them, and then others she gives to her crew to serve as slaves for the rest of their lives, and then the ones left, she says, remember me and pay tribute. This is insane. We also know that she did more than this. So this is like one amazing revenge story right but it's not really the end of her story because she was still regent for a long time before her son ascended to the throne and at this point this is where a lot of us are probably asking ourselves hey the title equal to the apostles sounds kind of weird for someone who is best known, at least according to you, Ben, and you, know, as uh, as as a, a bloody uh, revenge artist, the thing is that she turned a religious leaf about, what, about a decade after her revenge against Prince Mal and her husband's murderers. Because these folks would have practiced
0: paganism, I guess, to, for, to use kind of a blanket term, right?
1: Well, they were definitely... Yeah, but Christians would definitely call them pagans. And Christianity was not seen as a beneficial force to the Kievan Rus. But Olga visited Constantinople, and she met Christians there. And whatever the substance of their conversation may have been, it impressed her. And soon after, she converted. This was weird because her own country, Kievan Rus', Hated Christianity, hated the the culture of it, hated the the spirituality of it. They just, from top to bottom, they thought it sucked.
0: Well, Christianity was a conquering force. I mean, there was a real drive uh, to snuff out any pagan societies and convert them to Christianity. So for her, this warrior queen, to convert. Uh, voluntarily is more than a little suspicious, if you ask me. But who knows?
1: Well, yeah, the Chronicle claims to know because in the Chronicle, the authors say that Olga's conversion or her uh, epiphany that turns her into a Christian was part of a ruse. A Keevian ruse? Right, a Keevian ruse, uh, in this case R-U-S-E, to avoid marriage to the emperor at the time, Constantine the Seventh. Because when she visited his court in Constantinople, she said they could not possibly marry because he was a Christian and she was a pagan, but she would undergo baptism if it pleased him. So she was baptized by the Patriarch of Constantinople and she managed to evade marriage to Constantine because he stood by as her godfather during the baptism.
0: It's a pretty serious godfather right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, why is she known as a saint? Well, she knew when violence worked, and she apparently also knew when the strategy of the open hand worked. She began missionary efforts in modern-day Ukraine. She set up hospitals, and she used public announcements to teach people about the Christian faith. Everything that we know about missionary work tends to indicate Mm -hmm. that... People are more likely to believe in the religion you are pitching to them if they associate it with good things happening to them, right? So if if someone sets up a hospital for you or feeds the poor and the hungry and then says, by the way, I'm doing this because of this religion, you are more likely to agree with them uh, than you would if they said, oh, by the way, we killed everyone important in your community right. because our religion is so great.
2: Yeah,
0: catching more flies with honey and all that. So indeed, uh, it took a little while, but uh, the kingdom of Kivian Rus did eventually become a Christian one. It took about 10 years after Olga's death. Uh, she also was, of course, given a Christian burial that her son Vladimir took the throne of uh, Kiev, what is now Kiev, and made Christianity the official religion. And again, remember, this is uh, – you know, Constantinople would have been sending out um, emissaries and uh, folks that were going to try to convert the unwashed pagan masses of Kievan Rus to Christianity. But she succeeded where those folks failed. And that is uh, what got her that sainthood.
1: And thus, we finally arrive at the reason Princess Olga of Kiev is now known as Saint Olga of Kiev, equal to the Apostles, Viking Saint Queen of Russia, missionary to Ukraine, scourge of the Drevlans. What a ride. Seriously. What a ride. Yeah. You know, sometimes it occurs to me, I'm like, people are out here changing the world, and I fell asleep. Uh, when I got back from the airport, trying to put on a pair of pants.
0: Well, you were very jet lagged, and I'm sure you had adventures that kept you up. Um, so we we'll give you a pass on that, Ben. That's that is a real good. image, though I'll tell you. Yeah, it's was there one, one leg in or? Uh, you know,
1: I when I when I woke up, I would I would give myself a. Uh, a a hard 1.5 in putting on the pants in terms of leg applied. Got it. Uh, I think my left my left leg made it about to where the the knee would be, and then it was game over. You know, you can't win them all. I got I got pants on today at least, so one step closer to Saint Hood. Eh?
0: I can attest that, and it is also game over for this episode, but not the show, as you would say, Ben. Uh, this has been a really interesting one. I would love to see this made into a a, a rollicking film. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's got all the all the stuff.
1: I would watch it too as maybe one of those extended music videos. I'm really into that. Uh, it would it would be a great uh, it would be a great anime too. Although my thinking is probably a little colored. In That's that regard. probably, true. probably uh, true. Thank you so much for checking out the show. As always, a uh, Happy New Year once again to super producer Casey Pegram. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis. Thanks to our, I almost said
0: revenge associates, our research associates, Gabe Luzier and Ryan Barish. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Thanks to Jonathan Strickland, the uh, notorious Quister, for not showing up today. That's always a good day uh, in the studio. Um, and thanks to you, Ben, for, for being a friend and for making it back and for getting your pants on and uh, looking ship-shape uh, despite your sleeplessness and jet laggery. Thanks to you
1: as well, Noel. Uh Peek behind the curtain. We have one more episode to record, so I am going to go
0: shotgun some coffee. Sounds like a plan. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Happy Pride from TomboyX. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop
1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash
0: credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? No, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships.
1: True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, of rolling vineyards and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.